Hey everyone, big news. Up Next in Commerce is now available for sponsorship. If you love this show and you, or maybe your company, or someone in your network that you know may want to reach an audience of supremely smart e-commerce leaders, then reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org and I'll give you all the juicy details around what our strategic partnerships look like. Email me at stephanie at mission.org and let's chat. Welcome to Up Next in Commerce, the show that takes you to the front lines of what's happening in digital, retail, and beyond, with conversations from fast-growing startups to the Fortune 500 and everything in between. You'll get a glimpse into what's next. I'm your host, Stephanie Postles, the co-founder and CEO of Mission.org, and I'll be your guide through all the trends, innovations, and hot topics in the world of commerce. What are business leaders thinking about when they aren't winning a business? Family, travel, the latest TV show? Yes, yes, and maybe. But how about quirky business opportunities or little discussed financial trends or maybe even plant medicine benefits and alternative wellness? Mission Daily is back, baby, and our flagship podcast is better than ever. Mission Daily is the podcast for the business builder, the thoughtful marketer, the team manager, the blue-collar worker looking for new ways to think about life, finances, and health. This is for the people who want to break the status quo and laugh a little or a lot along the way. Join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we address the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about but don't often talk about. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. Welcome to another episode of Up Next in Commerce. Today, I'm talking to Rob Bossen, the owner of Gray Duck Group, which manufactures and sells outdoor equipment like stand-up paddle boards, canoes, and more. We're talking about everything from how to start a company in a lower risk manner to onshoring your manufacturing to reduce supply chain risk. And we even go into how Rod thinks about innovation and our thoughts on the future of inflatable products. Rob, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So you have a really interesting background that reminds me a bit of myself because you're in this world of finance and you're like, yeah, working with supply chain, finance in that industry, then all of a sudden, boom, you're in the world of outdoors. So I want to hear what this was like for you. Like, why? Why did you start an outdoors company after working in finance for many years? Well, I've been listening to a lot of your podcasts and it seems like the backgrounds on a lot of your guests have been varied over time. and, And my story is very similar in that way too. So um, yeah, I graduated from the University of Wisconsin in Eau Claire with a degree in management information systems and went into the corporate world working for Cargill and doing systems work and realized that um, I couldn't see myself in that environment for the next 30 years. And so I had a love for personal finance. I grew up um, with a grandfather who who tried to um, you know, prod, prod me into, you know, saving and investing and things like that. And I took some fin- personal finance courses in college and really enjoyed that. And so I made a switch into a, a role as a financial advisor, which at the age of 25, I, I don't think I really knew what I was doing, but I went for it and um, ended up doing that for a period of time. Did really good at the um, analytical side of the business, um, strategy and that sort of thing, but was not the greatest at the sales and marketing side. And so Ended up leaving that career after a few years and went back into the corporate world and tried to bring those two worlds together. Um, some of that systems work along with some of the 
having some of the background in terms of that field experience and understanding what financial advisors are doing. And so lived in that world for quite some time and 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 then ended up getting my MBA in night school after a while and realized that if I didn't use what I learned during that process that I would lose it. So the accounting side, the marketing side of things. And so I was like, well, I'm gonna be in the corporate world. What's a side hustle that I can do that would be fun? Could involve the family and then, you know, maybe make this a second career at some point down the road. And so, uh, you know, the rules were it had to be fun. It had to be easy to start. And so I, at the, and the timing happened to be in 2010 when paddleboarding was up and coming. And in the Midwest, there just was no sourcing, no place to get um, paddleboard. So I started calling around to see if there was any suppliers and there wasn't. And so uh, I thought, well, maybe we can start a little stand-up paddleboard company. And so we started Silver Creek Paddle with my wife and hit the beach, spun up a website. And that was the beginning of my paddleboarding um, career was, was that. So I was doing that while working the corporate gig and having a good time with it. And eventually got to the point where I was like doing the math. How long is it going to, how many paddleboards do I have to sell before I can quit my corporate gig and move to that full time and realized that um, it was going to take a lot. I was going to have, I was going to have to sell a lot of paddleboards. So I uh, tried to figure out a way, can I increase my margin? Can I, how do I sell more? So I had a good friend who, um, who had some contacts in the industry and we were able to um, try to figure out a way to sell more paddleboards to other uh, independent specialty retailers in the, in the Twin Cities and around the Midwest. And so I started bringing in, actually went out to California. I was like, how do I, how do I, how do I get better margins? And they're like, just buy more product. Easy. Um, yeah, easy, right? So we, um, uh, what I ended up doing was um, traveling around the Midwest, took, took vacation from my corporate job, traveled around the Midwest trying to get some new dealers to kind of go in with me on buying additional product. And they all said, call me in the spring. This was a fall trip that I made. Call me in the springs. Let's see if there's any demand that we've got. And so um, I w- in the f- during the winter, I ordered a container of boards and brought them into the upper Midwest. And then in the spring, just started dialing all those people that I had met in the fall and seeing if they were interested in bringing in boards. And so that started the process of becoming kind of a Midwest distributor of paddle boards. And eventually we grew that business to um, be significant enough that I had to make a choice whether I was going to stick with a corporate job or try to make a go of it. And so- Hard choice. Hmm, I don't know. <laughs> exactly. And um, it just got to be too much. Mm-hmm. There was just way too much going on and too way too busy. And so um, ended up actually- um, getting an offer to to work for a paddleboard manufacturer out of um, Southern California at the time. And we ended up kind of merging the Midwest business that I had with, with what they were doing. And then I started running sales and logistics for, for that company um, for a handful of years. And then eventually realized that I wanted to kind of run my own show again. Mm -hmm. And that's when um, I left that job. I started working with a good friend of mine from high school as a sales rep for some other outdoor brands 
and then started Gray Duck Outdoor on the side. Oh, so Gray Duck was on the side from your side project. Side from the side, exactly. Okay, got it. All right. So we started, we, we were working, I was working with kind of back in, in that, back in working with the accounts that I had been working with before. Um, so I was selling mostly to independent outdoor gear shops in the upper Midwest and selling them paddles and life jackets and backpacks and things like that. And then um, spun up Grey Duck. So uh, that was um, in 2016 and we've been growing ever since. So, you know, the, the genesis of, of the company was really trying to bring some things that were unique to the Midwest um, in terms of the type of paddling that we do up here, um, design some boards for, for that type of environment. And so um, we started to do that. I had been working on a paddle board that you could paddle in, uh, in the Boundary Waters Canoe area, which is way in the northern border of Minnesota. And then on the Canadian side, it's Quetico Provincial Park. So this, there's this huge amount of water that is in the uh, northern part of Minnesota. And it's traditionally been canoe country. And I've been growing up going to that area since I was about 10 years old. And so this was just an opportunity to try to design boards that might, might work in that area as well. And so one of the, one of the products that I first started working on, in addition to just getting some basic boards um, into our offering was uh, a board called the Quetico. And the Quetico was um, a, a paddleboard basically that you could portage like a canoe. And so the idea there was you could paddle it from lake to lake. And in between these lakes, there was paths, um, rugged paths that would allow you to bring your canoe or your kayak or your paddleboard from lake to lake. And traditionally, paddleboards are just hard to carry. They're you carry them to the side and they're, they're, they're hanging down low. So getting them from lake to lake was difficult. And so um, the idea with the Quetico was that we wanted to build something that you could literally just pick up, put it over your head and carry it just like a canoe. And you'd have the board balanced. It would be easy to see where you were, where you were walking. You weren't going to have it in the way. And so um, I filed for a patent on that design. We got that patent in early 2019, I want to say, or maybe if that was when I made the provisional, I can't remember now, but um, patented that product. And, and um, that's been kind of a key pinnacle product on our, in our line um, since that time. I love hearing about, you know, how companies were started, because I think right now, you know, so many people look at different companies and they're like, it's all or nothing. You have to take the risk. You just got to jump in and like life's too short to do it otherwise. And I'm not really that way. Like I'm not a huge risk taker. I'm like a little bit here and there, but also within reason and done my research. And it's awesome hearing about, you know, how you started the side project and you kept your job and like you didn't make this huge move right away that could potentially ruin, you know, someone financially and just kind of like kept experimenting, testing, seeing, learning, and then being like, okay, now is the time. Now I know I've, you know, got this knowledge. I have things under my belt now to actually start my own company. It's always cool to hear like how, how companies start because everyone is different for everyone I talk to. Yeah, for sure. And I think that from that's, that's just been always been my, my approach in, in terms of transitioning has been to try to take some small bets, um, take some small chances and under, better understand just will this work? Are we getting the feedback that we want? 
And every once in a while, you got to, you know, you got to make the leap. Yeah. But um, it's nice to have a little bit of time to experiment, get some feedback, see whether it makes sense to pursue that. I mean, I can say that when I was first floating the idea of starting Radek, you know, I, I confided in some friends what I was what I was up to, and you know, the the consensus was, you know, the world does not need another paddleboard brand. They just might. You never know. <laughs> which is which is absolutely true. <laughs> but um, yeah, they need a good one. That's what they need. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. And um, and so we, you know, we we did t- like that's an example of one where I just kind of blew past the advice and just decided that we could do some things that were unique and some things that were different that I think that the market could respond to. Mm-hmm. And so you know, this is that ba- it's always finding that balance between taking some small risks, and then every once in a while you got to just go for it and, and see what happens. Yeah. Um, but in a controlled manner, like that's a tricky thing in the early days. Getting advice from friends and family. Usually, yeah. I'm like, nope, I don't want to hear it. Like, you don't really know my full vision and the holes that I see. And I mean, I, I always think back to the best advice I ever got was from one of my managers at Google, who was like, "You can always come back to corporate. Like, why not go and try the thing? You're already making money with it. It's already doing well." Talking about mission, yeah. But she was like, "You could always come back," and that always helps me be like, "Oh yeah, there's always a security blanket if you had to," and taking calculated risks. And not always listening to, especially family, because family just wants to like protect you. And they're like, I don't know, Steph, you have a pretty good, like, why, you know? Why would you do this? Yeah, yeah absolutely. No, I think that that's, that's totally true. And, and that, that concept of, well, you can always go back is, is a nice safety blanket for sure in terms of, or safety net in terms of the ability to go back. And if you needed to start up in the corporate world again, you know, there's plenty of opportunity to do that. It's not like you forgot everything you you were doing back then. It's it's there's always an opportunity to flex those muscles again. Yep. Yeah. So with Gray Duck, you all are mostly selling through retailers or are you also doing direct to consumer from your website? We're doing a little bit of both. Okay. So we're mostly I, I would consider us to be an omni channel retailer mm-hmm. of, of paddle boards and we work through um, we work through mostly uh, independent specialty retailers. Um, mostly in the Midwest at the moment, we're starting to expand to other areas of the country. I've hired some sales um, reps, independent sales reps in other areas. So we're just starting to grow in other areas of the country. Um, but we're definitely, a, I'll call it a dealer first. We work through um, independent re- dealers and, and they're our main customer. And then we sell some some through our website as well. If you know the customers are in a part of the country where there's no, you know, no dealer close, we try to work with them to get them the products that they're looking for. And it's interesting because I think that you kind of have to make a you have to make a choice early on when you're um, when you are selling both through a wholesale channel and through through your website and which one is going to get the priority because when you're selling through dealers um, that does limit you in what you can do from a marketing and promotional perspective like you're not trying not to step on toes and you're trying to keep things consistent across the country and so you know we're definitely I would say a dealer first. We're trying to support those people who are reselling a product and um, selling direct is a secondary. And we're just trying to um, fill in gaps that our that our dealers can't do through the um, D to C portion of our business. Yep. Yep. Got it. What about international? I mean, I whenever I've traveled to different places, I haven't seen I haven't seen stand up paddleboarding in. Europe or Germany, even though they're, you know, many of these places are very outdoorsy. Have you all explored trying to get your product over there? 
Yeah, um, we have explored. Well, I shouldn't say as Gradec, we have not explored it. But when we, when I was working previously in the industry with another brand, um, we had done some work in Europe, and 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 you know, my philosophy at the moment is until we can, you know, until we've nailed down the U.S. market and we've gotten the penetration that we want here, it's difficult to go to Europe. There's just a bunch of other other things to deal with. Um, Figuring out how you're going to distribute all of that is just—it's just going to make things makes things interesting. And the in the European market is just different than the U.S. market in terms of the boards that they that they use. It's almost all inflatable product mm. over there. Um, so most of I would say 90% of the boards that are being sold in Europe are inflatables, whereas the U.S. there's just there's just more room, mm-hmm. more room for storage, more room for, we have bigger vehicles with yeah, big everything, more roof racks and things like that. So our markets are different. The, the, over there is very much um, an inflatable market just because of space constraints and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Got it. Yeah. I was just thinking about that. I'm like, I don't know why I haven't seen that very often whenever I've been there. And it's interesting to think about the inflatable aspect of it, which I see actually here in Austin quite often. People have I didn't even know that was a thing until this past year when everyone's like bringing inflatable paddle boards. I'm like, where do you get those? Now I know, but. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's probably the biggest, you know, that's the growth, the, that's where the growth is, is inflatables mm-hmm. in, in terms of, you know, just convenience, portability, storage, durability. Um, they check a lot of boxes. In terms of um, on-water performance, I think they, le- they leave something to be desired. Mm-hmm. I always have a preference for a rigid board when I'm, you know, when we're talking about what's the best on water experience. Mm-hmm. But if you're optimizing for things um, outside of that, then the inflatables tend to be uh, something to definitely check out and look at. Yeah, yeah. And they're easy to ship. So I know. from a D to C yeah. perspective, um, that is something that if we're looking at major brands who have uh, a footprint. Uh, nationally, mm-hmm. it's typically going to be, they're going to lean in pretty hard on inflatable product just because of the fact that the logistics are just so much easier to deal with. Yeah, um, You're not dealing with, um, you know, 11, 11 to 14 foot rigid products that are easily damaged and you have to ship them LTL and mm-hmm. all of that. So um, it's just easier to, to sell inflatable product. And so um, you'll notice that a lot of the marketing and a lot of the brands that are pushing pushing paddle boards nationally are going to tend to lean pretty hard into the inflatable product just because just because of the logistics involved. Yeah. My mind is going to, what else could be inflatable? Inflatable bike, inflatable garage unit, like what else could turn into an, infl- an inflatable product? So many options. <laughs> yeah. I think we're going to see a lot of, um, a lot of that, those options. I saw a truck a truck topper, yeah, that was made out of inflatable product uh, a couple couple weeks ago when I was traveling. It was just like, this is a new trend, Rob. Yeah, we're gonna be the first ones to call it. Yeah, everywhere we look, things will be inflatable. Totally, because the the, the technology is getting really good. So this drop stitch technology can be really rigid and conform. Some, you know, it's just a, a rigid product that allows you to do a lot of things with it. And so, I think that to your point, there's going to be some additional products that we start to see where you're like, man. That's not what I was expecting, but totally works. There's a stereotype of the average American worker whose life goes something like this. Go to work, come home, consume some kind of entertainment, go to sleep, lather, rinse, repeat. If you're listening to this ad, then I know that that life does not resonate with you. For the truly disruptive business leader, work doesn't stay at the office, and unwinding doesn't mean watching TV at night every single night. 
This is why we've created Mission Daily, a podcast that discusses the trends, habits, and ideas that thoughtful business people are contemplating every day. From quirky business opportunities to interesting investment ideas to the latest research in health and exercise and alternative medicine, and maybe even plant medicine. Who knows where we're going to go, but Mission Daily covers it all. We're releasing new episodes every weekday. So join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we discuss the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about, but don't talk about. Publicly, that is. Break the status quo. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. You've been in this really interesting space in your company career where you've started to onshore your products. And, you know, for the longest time, you were getting your paddle boards made in China. And I was reading some articles that you wrote and was just kind of discussing like what that looked like bringing manufacturing into the US. And I want to hear more about that because that's something that I haven't gotten to speak too much um, about on the show. A couple companies did that, especially over the past two years is bringing manufacturing here and making it more predictable and all that. Um, But I wanted to hear from your perspective, like what has that process looked like trying to bring your manufacturing back into the US or into the US for the first time, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. So for us, the the um, US manufacturing that we are doing, so we started to um, offer canoes as part of our uh, lineup in 2021. So we, we started that through um, a collaboration with a Canadian canoe manufacturer. And uh, one of my dealers uh, in Northern Minnesota uh, he introduced um, he introduced us and we collaborate. You know, the the dealer's name is Stone Harbor Wilderness Supply. They're up in Grand Marais, way up on the North Shore of Lake Superior. And so, um, the owner of that business had wanted to bring in um, canoes and had found a, a Canadian manufacturer that was willing to to bring their brand of canoes in, or they were willing to um, act as almost like an OEM, and and um, we could brand them however we wanted to. And so. That was a conversation that I just happened to be. You know, I just happened to be traveling at the time up in that area, and and we got onto the topic of canoes. and And I said, "Well, if you need a, you know, doesn't make sense to start a, a new canoe brand. Doesn't make sense to leverage their their brand, or do we want to try to perhaps, you know, doesn't make sense for Gradec to be the brand since we've got some traction in the in the Midwest already. And so we we did make the call to do a collaborative do a collaborative offering with um, a company called Rayom Canoes out of Canada. And so uh, we co-branded a canoes and brought those in in 2021. And then um, in tw- as we were rolling into 2022, I had a, an experienced canoe builder happen to be walking through one of my other dealers and saw the canoes that we had o- were offering from Canada for sale. And he called me up and we ended up having coffee and hearing, and I ended up hearing more about his experience. He was from Minneapolis and uh, was an experienced canoe builder and knew how to spin, you know, could spin up uh, that kind of offering if we could build up the shop and and we could make that, wanted to make that kind of R&D investment. And so uh, it took a long time for me to think through whether that was something that we wanted to do or not. Um, there's obviously significant uh, investment required and uh, a lot of R and D, but at the time, you know, we had been our, we'd been coming off of COVID. We'd been coming off of major supply chain issues in China. We had been, you know, Russia had invaded Ukraine. You could see some, um, 
you could see some risk just geopolitically in the world that could disrupt supply chains um, again. And so, you know, to have some sort of hedge against that in a way that would allow us to, you know, if we had some experience with composites and we had some experience in actually building some stuff here, it would probably make sense for us to try to try to at least try it, try it out and see if we could if we could pull it off. And so um, we decided let's build it. Let's try to build a canoe here. And the idea was, you know, maybe eventually um, we could build a model of board, um, stand up paddleboard here, or we could expand in that area. But for now, you know, if we could um, establish a high end, uh, high end canoe product, um, we've got the market for it in, in our area. And so we spent the time to to um, build our first model of canoe. It's called the Vision Seventeen. It's a lake tripper, mm-hmm. and it's a perfect um, canoe for our area in the Boundary Waters and the Quetico Park. Um, so uh, we're really excited about that. I think um, it's giving us some experience in composites. It's giving us um, a lesson in resilience mm-hmm. and troubleshooting and trying to figure things out. Um, but it's been a it's been a really good next step for us. And we're still building a lot of our product in China. We're still doing all of our stand-up paddleboards there. And um, that relation, those relationships that were established are still, are still good ones, but to have that ability to, um, you know, have that expertise in house is giving us um, additional capacity to be better at the, at the Santa paddleboard side of the business as well, in terms of repairs that we can do, fixes that we can do. We can just be more resilient in terms of our product offering and customer support and things like that as well. Um, so it's been a good addition. It's definitely tested us in terms of working through issues and overcoming obstacles and things like that. But um, so far, so good. I couldn't be happier in the way that things have gone. And I'm I, um, excited for the future and what we're going to do there. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. So is your goal eventually to have a certain percentage, you know, produced in China and a certain percentage produced, you know, here, or do you have thoughts around that? Or is it more still in the testing phase where you're like, we'll see? I think we'll always, we'll always build canoes here. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt about that. And then in terms of the stand-up paddleboard market, we're going to see what it's going to take. I know that even though paddleboards are smaller, they're, they're definitely more complex vessels mm-hmm. than canoes. And so um, I, I foresee us producing most of our uh, boards still overseas for for some period of time, but I'd love to be able to experiment with producing some models here. And I don't know; it'd probably be some specialty models. It might be something that we would um, be trying to serve a specific niche with. So we've got to think through what that looks like in terms of R and D and what where we want to you know, where we want to go with that. But I can say that we've it's more likely than not that we will develop a handful of canoes here um, and expand that line and then see where our expertise takes us in terms of our ability to do some paddleboards here as well. So long-term, I think, you know, we're paddle, we're, we started as a paddleboard brand and we are, you know, that's still our main business. And so I think it would be great to be able to do at least um, a model here, um, if not more, but um, time will tell and mm-hmm. how that plays out and how much, um, time and effort we've got to spend on on that project. Yeah, that's it's such an interesting thing to think about because I mean, you hear, you know, all these ideas around this is going to be a borderless economy. Borders don't matter anymore. We have 
crypto soon and we'll be able to transact however we want when it comes to money and all the barriers, you know, will go away when it comes to that. And then you think about, okay, but the supply chain, there's still borders and things still have to go on boats and planes and get it out of countries. And so I think it'll be an interesting decade to kind of see how those two converge between we're borderless and there's still some holdups here that make it not really the case. Totally. And I think that there's, you know, I've always believed that, um, you know, having, and I don't want to say borderless, having a borderless transactions is is fantastic. But the reality of it is, is just that um, we still have, you know, governments that dictate, you know, certain, there's certain laws, there's tariffs, there's mm-hmm. transportation issues, there's all sorts of um, real world problems in terms of getting product from one continent to another, or even from, you know, intercontinent across borders. And so until that becomes a little bit more frictionless, we will continue to have um, issues whenever we have um, major mm-hmm. international events. Yeah, 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 agree. So the one thing I noticed on your website was that you were selling used or refurbished items, which I thought was an interesting angle because I was like, okay, so you guys are kind of like a marketplace. Like, where are these items coming from? Are you the middle person? Um, so tell me a bit about the strategy behind selling used products. Um, the used stuff is, if you look a month ago, those those products wouldn't have been there. And oh, so okay. The, um, so the, the used product is really a function of during the year, we, we end up doing demos and we end up visiting dealers and we end up having people test paddle product and by the nature of the business, we create demo and used gear. Mm-hmm. And if somebody wanted to trade in, you know, if they if somebody was trying to trade in um, a used board or if they wanted to get rid of a used board, certainly we can take things in on trade. We can also, you know, if somebody's got something that they aren't really interested in keeping around, but it's repairable and they want to give it a second life, we can we can do all of that in house. And so, you know, we've got we've we've got some boards that. Um, we've just demoed and then we've got some boards that we've repaired. And so we um, try to make sure that they get into the hands of um, people who are looking for good quality product, but don't necessarily want to pay for, for a new product. Mm -hmm. You know, the joke was always, if we could manufacture used boards, you know, everybody would be happy because everybody's looking for a deal, you know, a few scratches or a few dents in 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 a product is usually not that big of a deal. And so, you know, we usually do pretty well in trying to find homes for, for product that is um, in need of a new owner. Yeah. No, I love that. I mean, that's where the economy is shifting and like consumer behavior. I mean, especially around clothes, but of course this too, I was like, oh, I totally would buy a used board. I don't mind if it's scuffed, bumped, dented, whatever. I'm not that good anyways. So I'm okay with someone else's hand-me-downs. I thought that was, yeah, very smart to be in there. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that there's... Um, you know, it's, it, we have that ability now. And again, this comes from, from building the canoes in-house. We just have, we've got a lot of um, skill and a lot of um, materials that we can use to, f- to fix and refurbish product. And so our ability to do that has never been better than it is right now. And so um, you know, that's an area where we can look to expand further and we can, you know, and in, in the market is also maturing and we've got more people with paddle boards that have been around for for a decade now mm-hmm. you know it used to be that all the boards were fairly new and they were all fairly good shape but yeah. we're starting to see products that are um pretty rough mm-hmm. and you know the canoe, canoe market's the same way there's a lot of canoes that have been around for a long long time and they need to be they need to have new gunnels put on or they're rotted out in some way or they've been damaged or you know 
people have lost them off the top of their car, whatever. But that's something I would do. Yeah, totally. <laughs> oh, um, sorry, I just flew off my car. Can you help? <laughs> watch out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we can fix we can fix most of that product, and and so uh, our ability to bring those canoes or ki- kayaks or paddle boards or boats, you know, in pretty much anything with that's composite material, we can bring back to life in in a fairly straightforward manner, and that's all really. Um, become available in the last year, just now that we've got the tools in the shop to pull all that off. Mm-hmm. Like what is the potential for innovation around paddle boards? I mean, I was already kind of hearing it when you're like, oh, this lake, you need this thing. And this one, if you're going to be walking with it, you need this, which I did not even realize that there could be a lot of innovation in this space. I mean, I think about like lacrosse sticks. It's like, how much innovation can you do for a lacrosse stick? Uh, only so much. And then, you know, but it seems like there's actually a lot more than I realized so how do you go about thinking about new products um, in this space? Well, for us, you know, the the initial innovation was really trying to be it's like that niche within a niche. And so for us, it was kind of that extended, you know, extended touring board where you can go into remote, get in deep into remote places and transport it easily through through the woods. Um, so the Quetico and our all-day hybrid were were boards that that allowed for that. I think the fishing niche is interesting because there's just lots of ways that you can rig up rig up boards that allow people to have have a platform for fishing rigged up the way that they want to so we're working on some additional boards that you know could accommodate a trolling motor or could could accommodate just more weight on the board again it's mostly those further niches so Mm -hmm. there's yoga boards that are yep. built for, um, you can tie, tie them together. They're um, super, you know, super stable, obviously. So there's just, there's niches within paddle boards that I think you'll start to see further development in and trying to fine tune a lot of that. But it is, um, a lot of it is coming from river boards, things that are really durable. Mm-hmm. So, and then obviously, you know, race and, you know, it's like, you can always take that niche a little further than it currently is at. And so, further refining and we're, you know, we're not building race boards. We're not building a ton of, um, we have a couple of boards that are kind of yoga ask boards, but we're more into the, um, I'll call it exploring, adventuring and, and fishing kind of falls into that. I think all of those areas are areas that we can, um, likely innovate more in the future. And then from a durability perspective, um, there's just new options in terms of composites that, we can continue to dig into to make boards lighter, stronger, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. There is a, in the lake here in Austin, they always have a DJ meetup and people are on paddle boards and they put their speakers on their paddle boards and then people all like circle around them. And so there's one idea. Uh, that's all my ideas for today. <laughs> yeah. I like it. I like it. So many options with this now that I'm thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. The electrification is also an area where you're starting to see, you know, we've got electric bikes obviously out there, but, you know, mm-hmm. electric fins, things that are allow propulsion without having to necessarily. Yeah. That's what I've needed. Yeah. I don't want to. No. Why? Why paddle? That's basic. Yeah. Why do that? No. Why paddle yeah. when you can just <laughs> cruise? Yeah. So there's some of that that's happening too. And, and so I wouldn't be surprised if we see more of that as well. Awesome. So over the coming year, what are you looking forward to most in the business? You know, I think that there's a couple of things uh, in terms of the paddle, the paddleboard side of the business. We're working on some just new products. Again, things that are 
more durable or just more cater to a certain niche. Um, so that's something that we're exploring on the inflatable side of the on, on the inflatable boards. You know, again, those are those are areas where we can can we make it pack smaller? Can we make it easier to easier to store? So if you're living in a you know if you're living the van life or or you need something where space is really constrained, can we make that board fold into a, you know into something smaller? Um, so there's there's definitely some work that we're doing there, and then on the canoe side of the business, um, we're still just experimenting with different materials, different ways of building canoes, um, so that we can make them more either more efficient, lighter, or you know have more longevity. And and uh, and then we're expanding the the number of offerings that we've got in that space. So um, in terms of uh, the product, those are kind of things that I'm excited about, and then. Just generally speaking, you know, we're still trying to expand our footprint in, in the U.S., and so I'm working hard to try to find some sales representation in areas that we don't have um, boots on the ground, because that is something that, with the type of product that we're dealing with, getting them transported to different areas, you know, it just makes dealer relationships are really important in order to get product into people's hands, and so. Um, Having boots on the ground in different areas of the country are is a really important next step, and so working to do that is something that I'm excited about, and we're going to continue to um, spend time trying to to grow our footprint nationally. Okay, cool. Well, Rob, I wish you all the best with that. I'm super excited to check out some of the products and see where you guys go with the company. So, thanks for hopping on the show today. Where can people learn more about you and Gray Duck? If they want to find more about Gray Duck, uh, grayduckoutdoor.com is where they, they can find us. And I can be reached on LinkedIn or on Twitter. Awesome. Thanks so much. Yeah. Thank you. Hey, listeners. Thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.